the Georgia General Assembly session was recently completed. We're going to talk to somebody who has some really good news for Columbus. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Thank you for watching the Chuck Williams Show and listening. We're glad you're here. Our guest is Richard Smith. Chairman Smith is the chairman of the House Rules Committee in the Georgia General Assembly. And uh, Richard has just completed his 15th, 17th session. 18th. 18th session. 18th. Time flies when you're having fun. It does, doesn't it? Uh, Richard has just completed his 18th session in the General Assembly. Richard, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Uh, this one, this General Assembly session, which starts in January, ends in either late March, early April, this General Assembly session was done under the cloud of politics, more so than normal, right? Yeah, and it, it all boils around redistricting uh, and the census. Every 10 years, we get new census data. And based on the numbers, you know, new district lines are drawn. The, if you look at, you know, my old district had 52,825 or something like that. My new district numbers will be 59-something. So... Now, there's only so much you can do because it's all built on numbers. You go down south of us, um, we'll have a representative who covers almost as many counties as some Senate seats or, or even more because the population is so low down there. But it's, this, this stuff all revolves around numbers. And when that's the case... Uh, yeah, people get upset because um, when you have to redraw lines, I know one uh, person who, who she was hap happened to be the, the chair of the redistricting committee. Most of her district is new to her. When it got redrawn, most, wow. most of her district is new to her. Um, and in one case down in South Georgia, there were two Republicans drawn into the same district just due to numbers. Um, so, yeah, there's they some instances where, yeah, we, we wish we could have uh, met everybody's wants, uh, but when, you're, when your numbers decrease and, you know, they all go to it, the number increases all go to Atlanta or North, because you got some counties in South Georgia that have less people in them today than they had in 1940. Wow. So... But when you look at Atlanta, when you know, we have, what, 11 million people? Um, so, you know, you go from um, just a little south of Interstate 20 north, that's where your population growth is. And that's where the, that's where the numbers show up. That's right. You know, most people don't really realize this, but under the Georgia Constitution, General Assembly has only one mandated purpose to approve a budget. Mm -hmm. I mean, that everything else you do can be done, right. but the reason you're there is to produce a, not, a, not, a balanced operating budget for the state of Georgia, right? Right, and the key, one of the key words you just said was balanced. Yep. You know, we, we, we don't have a printing press. We can't uh, print a lot of money. So, you know. No, we, bit, no Bitcoin in Atlanta. No Bitcoin in Atlanta. We, we have to, we have to just, Based on the projected revenues, that's how we base our budget. And what what's the number this year? It's about thirty billion, just a tad over thirty billion. Thirty billion, give or take. Yeah, give or take. That's a lot of money. Yes, that's money is generated through property taxes, sales taxes, mm -hmm. uh, uh, corporate taxes, all these income taxes. <laughs> right now, one thing that yeah yeah that does sound like a lot of money, and, and it is. But if you look at K through 12, you look at Medicaid, and then you look at the university system and technical schools, you're looking at close to 75% of the budget just in that area. So all the rest That's of That's before you get into DOT, before you get into... That's exactly right. But before you get into uh, parks or uh, anything else, Department of Corrections, anything, that's about 75% is tied up in those funds every year to begin with. One of the things that in Georgia 
it's a line item veto and the governor has line item veto, but it's a line item budget with the governor having line item veto now, authority. One thing in, in regard to that, it makes the governor of Georgia, regardless of who's sitting in the seat, about the fifth most powerful governor in the country. Line item veto. Line item veto on the budget. You know, he, he, he or she can line item out any individual dollar amount that they want to. And regardless of the fact that it passed the general assembly, regardless, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a three step process. You know, let's start with the house. We we a bill is introduced. It's civics lesson coming at you yeah, guys. That's right. The bill is introduced in the house. Uh, for example, yeah. it goes through the uh, committee process, or, or it's assigned to a committee. Then it goes through the committee process, and then once it goes through the committee process and say passes. Then it comes to rules, which I happen to be chair of. Well, if once I do a thorough review of that, say less, then it goes to the House for a vote. All right? It, it's passed there. At that process, then it immediately transmits over to the Senate, and it has to go through the same process there. Okay, so you've had two uh, bodies look at a particular piece of legislation, Say so it's passed, then it can go. Then it goes to the governor's office. And but if can, the Senate passes any differences from what the original legislation, it's got to come back to y'all to rectify the differences. That's right? correct. You know, if it comes back, then a conference committee has to be formed, and then the the two chambers have to get together and come up with an agreement. The budget this year, this thirty billion dollar pot of gold that the state has, Columbus fared very well. And not just in in getting institutions and projects are getting some money here. I think the National Infantry Museum, Columbus Tech, Saint Fan, the Pastoral Institute through Saint Francis. I think there's there's money coming to Columbus. That's probably the most we've had in a while, right? Yes. And Mercer, Mercer University's right. Med School. But tell me a little bit about what what you were at, what. Y'all were able to get into the budget that will directly benefit Columbus slash Muskogee. Okay. Um, let's look at the Pastoral Institute. I think it was around $2.8 million that went into the budget, and that helped create 17 new mental health beds. Is okay. that part of the speaker's mental health? Um, no. This was separate budget money, uh, a separate uh, package. Um, we've been asking for that. Yeah, it, it, it impacts it, yes. Um, but it was not an original part of the speaker's mental health bill. Then we went... So to, 17 new mental health beds in the city of Columbus. Yes. that's doesn't sound like a lot, but I think it is. It is. It's a, it's a lot now. You know, mental, mental health is one of those things that we should have spent the same amount of effort on a mental health bill 50 years ago and, you know, waiting till this year. But at least we've gotten started because what you look at is when you go to the jail or when you go to... The largest s- mental health facility in Columbus, Georgia, is in Muskogee County. Jail. That's exactly right. And the same thing applies to every county in the state. Wow. Uh, also, and, and from what figures I've heard... Uh, about 75% of the people in jail have a mental issue, okay? Then you look at your homeless, a lot of the folks who spend time sleeping under overpasses and this, uh, sleeping under overpasses. Down by the river here. Down by the river. Uh, wherever you go around the state, a large percentage of those have mental illness too, Um then, you know, you look at your suicide rate, from what I understand, suicide rate's greater than uh, murders. Um, so there's a lot of mental health issues out there that need to be addressed. And, and at least in, in House Bill 1013, we've identified that and we're, we're working toward that. Health care is the, and this is mental health is part of health care, um, Healthcare is a 900-pound gorilla in the room. Yeah, and it's going to be a major issue in the November political election. It's, it's going to be a you know, governor's well, race. Well, let's just forget about the, the politics of it. The 
That's hard to do. Oh, I know, I know. I go, that's that's your. <laughs> you live and die that stuff. But healthcare is the like I say, the nine hundred pound gorilla. You've got, uh, you know, under this new bill, it created a, a a mental health court, so that if someone has a mental illness, instead of going just straight to a superior court because of a crime, then it may go to a, a mental health court. But when you've got counties in this state who not only don't have a pharmacist, they don't have a doctor of any kind. And some, some of those are just south of here. Just south of here, that's right. You, you probably have 12 or 15 counties in this state that don't have a doctor. Well, if they don't have a doctor, how are they going to treat mental illness in that particular county? There's not a psychiatrist there either. So, you know, it, it's this... This is a major, major 900-pound gorilla in the room. And, you know, you could probably say 9,000-pound gorilla in the room because of the scope and magnitude that you have to address this particular issue. And you can do the same thing with just mental health. You can do the same thing with uh, any of these, you know, burst unwed mothers. You can uh, postpartum uh, deaths. You know, there's all kind of things that this mental health bill needs to address and you know yeah we've started the mental health part but why not just expand medicaid and put it all under one umbrella well that's a different animal altogether medicaid's low income mental health is not mental health does not care whether you're um white black asian it doesn't care and it doesn't matter about your uh, your income it that or you educate it does not matter Mental health is a, one of those things that, um, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have borders. And it's one of those things that regardless of the social status that you're in or whatever, it's still prevalent. And so, you know, just expanding Medicaid. You know, I know they talk a lot about expanding Medicaid. That's a democratic issue that's oh, yeah. going to be heavy in the, in oh, the yeah. election. And, and, it's, and it's been that way for um, a few years now. Okay, let's say you expand Medicaid. We don't have enough doctors. There are no doctors in southwest Georgia. And you start talking about, well, let's do telemedicine. Well, there's no internet down there in a lot of those places. You know, in order to their broadband issues in the in the poorest places have the biggest broadband issues. You're exactly right. So, uh, yeah, you know, well, okay, let's expand Medicaid. Well, where are the doctors going to come from to provide the service? They're not out there. Uh, the uh, internet is not out there. So you know, these uh, and, and we expand Medicaid every year anyway. And you know, I remember one year uh, we expanded it about three hundred something million dollars just to meet that actual growing needs. But if you don't have the medical help to p- provide the service, what good is providing the service? Interesting, interesting, interesting. At it. I want to go back to the Columbus money real quick. Okay. You, you talked about the Pastoral Institute. They're going to stand up 17 mental health beds. Um, and it works kind of hand in glove with Speaker Ralston's mm-hmm. mental health bill that passed. If anybody is really interested in the mental health, read go to House Bill 1013. 1013. It's uh, Georgia General Assembly, easy Google, easy mm-hmm. way to get right. to. And you can read the bill in its entirety. And you also get the status on whether or not the, the governor signed that one, right? Right. So that one's in. Uh, another uh, another two $2.8 $2. for the National Infantry Museum. Uh, that's right. And uh, that's that's what, why National Infantry Museum, certainly a pride of Columbus in many, many ways. It's private. It's off just off post. Why would the state put money into National Infantry Museum, and, and, and what's it going for? It's just like the uh, chairman of appropriations said. Um, if you want to learn about the United States history and have a lot of pride in in the United States history and see what the folks at the National Infantry Museum has done, um, $2.8 million is not a very, not a very big amount of money. Um, 
you know, when, when you got, it, it's that has been an amazing ride. It has. I mean, you and I have seen it from the very right. from the very beginning, yeah. the germ, the right. germ of the seed that turned into this spectacular facility mm-hmm. that that capsulizes the history of the infantry and in many ways the history of our country. Oh yeah, and and it does, um, and you know, I'm I'm very, I'm extremely proud of that facility and what it offers for Columbus. Everybody in Columbus should be. Everybody in Columbus should be. But there's a lot of people throughout the United States who are also proud of that facility, who have been here. You know, all the graduations there, you see, all you hear is favorable reports about how wonderful that facility is, how how much of an educational tool. That it's is. truly a Smithsonian quality oh, yeah. museum. By, by far, it, you know, it... I'm glad it's here, but it really needs to be up there. <laughs> Don't say that. Oh, no, I know. I'm not. Don't get that truck started. Uh-uh. Um, but they're going to do money for, they've got the traveling Vietnam wall that's now got right. a permanent location there. Part of it's to stabilize that and get that in a, in, in a state of perpetual mm-hmm. care. And then what's, I mean, Anything else you can tell us about the National Infantry? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't remember all it's going to. Uh-huh. Uh, but they, they understand there's uh, a special um, display that they're developing. Um, so, you know, whether it's war on terror or, or, or what it is, it's um, that's that's the kind of money that, money that needs to be spent. And I tell you, the General Assembly has not given money to a museum in a pretty good while. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been what to any museum? Because they, the, we had the the music and the sports museums that got a lot of state funding, mm-hmm. and but they were state bad. This is obviously something that the state doesn't have to, to care for. This is not a state museum in yeah. any way. Yeah, that's true. And you know, they don't have to manage it. They don't have. They, they just give the money and and. Tell them to do with it. With well, no, with, they they requested certain monies yeah. for certain things, and that's what. They and they're going to be accountable for right. that. Columbus Tech got some money. Columbus Tech. What's got, that all about? They got one point three million or something like that, right right around those numbers. Uh, they're building a new manufacturing facility, um, so it's um, to train people to for train manufacturing people. jobs. Yeah. Now, in regard to that. Um, there was a bill that was passed. It's called the Jack Hill Veterans Act. The Jack Hill Veterans Act is when you get your income tax refund, you know, you can designate money to go to certain places yeah. on the refund. This refund goes to uh, handicapped veterans so they can go to uh, the technical college system of Georgia, which would be Columbus Tech, one of them. Wow, that's a, that's a good look. Uh, so... You know, when you get your two or three hundred thousand dollar back from the <laughs> on your income tax, you you can donate some money to that particular uh-huh. event, and that will help a, a handicapped veteran go to go to technical school. And by the way, that bill is going to be signed to, uh, Monday also. Is this stuff that's going into Columbus Tech? I'm, I'm going to get to that. I'm headed. I'm headed with you right now there. Let me finish Columbus Tech and Mercer. The Columbus Tech money, the way I think it's happened in the past, there's initial outlay for design and That's all what that. this money is designed for. Is for uh, design, the money is for purchase uh, a property and design a facility. And then there will be additional funds once the thing in a year, two years sometimes, right. where they'll come back and so Once the design is, is made and approved, then they'll come back and ask for the additional funds to, for construction. So this is the first step right. of first that process. This is the baby step, you know, because you got you have to have the property in the design before you can come back and ask. One point three million is a pretty good baby step. It it is, um, but uh, Columbus Tech is well deserved. Uh, this may be the first real money they've gotten since Bob Jones was president. Mm, yeah, you may be right. Well, Bob was a, Bob was a former president there who really lobbied hard for uh, for state funds. I mean, I saw him in Atlanta all the time. Doing oh, yeah, that. he was there. Uh, when I first got up there, uh, he was there during session. A lot. <laughs> during session, he was yeah. there. 
and then the last piece of it is um, is Mercer Med is, which is a partnership between Mercer University, the philanthropic community in Columbus, as well as the state. And Mercer Med is you're talking about lack of rural doctors. Mercer Med's t- tra- training Georgia kids to become Georgia doctors. One of the uh, nice thing about Mercer Mercer Med School is that they only accept students from Georgia. And they also, in their selection process, they look at the zip code where the child is from. If you have a child that, say, lives in the Buckhead part of Atlanta, and you send them down to rural South Georgia, they may go crazy. But a kid from Cuthbert. But a kid from Cuthbert goes back down there. He's going to stay there because it's home. It's that, it's that kind of feeling. So they're looking. If you're from Cuthbert, you're from Adel, you're from the Blue Ridge Mountains. Right. You got a shot. You got a shot to as get in. As long as you meet the criteria to get in, mm-hmm. you have a shot. And you're hoping they'll go back to those areas and provide the medical care that's currently sorely lacking. Yes, yeah, in some areas it's non-existent. There's some places down there you got to drive 30 miles just to fill up a prescription. Yep. So you're looking at roughly Columbus-centric projects right at $10 million in the budget. Yeah, pretty close. Man, this goes back to the days when you had Pete and Calvin and Tom Buck and yeah. all those guys down there. That's, that's a good look. I mean, the General Assembly delegation from Columbus should be very proud of it. Oh, we are. We're ecstatic about this because, you know, one of the nice things about our current delegation, we work extremely closely together. Um, yeah, we may disagree on policy as it relates on the voting floor, this kind of stuff. But when we're, when we're sitting in the room talking about Columbus and the things that benefit Columbus, whether it's Mercer, whether it's Columbus Tech or the uh, Pastoral Institute, National Infant, any of those things, when we walk out, we're on the same page and we're, we're supporting it. When a hole's about to be knocked in your delegation, Calvin has Calvin Smyre, who's been in the General Assembly for 48 years, is leaving. To, That's just about as long as you've been born, isn't it? Yeah, I'm 61. <laughs> okay. So, so I, was a, I was a teenager when Calvin went in. But, you know, it's fascinating that Calvin has been in there so long, the dean of the General Assembly. And now he's going to be ambassador to the Dominican Republic once he's approved by the Senate. Um, what is Calvin's departure going to mean for Columbus? Well, you you got to look at what a Calvin Smyre is. He, he is a statesman. He's not a politician. Well, he's very much a politician. Oh, I know it, but he, he, he's, he fills the role of a statesman much better. He can work across uh, party lines. He can, he can sit down one-on-one with the speaker. Uh, he and I. He can get in the governor's office anytime he wants to. Exactly. That's not something, not everybody in Atlanta can do that. No, not everybody, because what he brings to the table, you know, he, he, he brings a statesmanship mentality to that, regardless of whether you're talking about transportation, health care, it doesn't matter. He brings a, a statesman uh, attitude to solve the problem, and it's it's not out there throwing hand grenades or uh, throwing little bombs to you know keep everything all stirred up. When he comes into a room to, to take a look at a particular issue, that's what's done, and it, and, and it's not it's not political. Now, I, I know you see he's it's a lot of politics in that, and and there is I I can't argue that he's a skilled politician. He's a skilled politician, but I I much prefer. Prefer calling him a statesman. That fits I, as well. I think I think that's what he is more so than even a skilled politician. Yeah, he he knows how to work his own party. He knows how to, to deal with the, the opposing party. He knows how, to, like you said, go in the governor's office and talk to him whenever he needs to about a particular issue. And a lot of times, the governor calls him to talk to him about a particular issue because Calvin, after forty eight years, you got a lot of experience. And I know everybody keeps talking about term limits and this kind of stuff uh, for Congress, and and there are some who are talking about term limits for the Georgia House and all. But when when you've got 
that kind of expertise. Can you imagine what's walking out the door when he walks out? A lot of institutional knowledge. A lot of institutional knowledge. They call Calvin a lot of things up there. Mainly Dean. Dean. And, and Ambassador now. Dean Ambassador. You called him friend. I do. I call Calvin a friend. We, t- we talk uh, uh, on, on a real regular basis. I, ca- I call him a real friend. And even though we're in opposite parties, I call him a friend. Yeah, y'all, y'all are of the same generation. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all both came through segregation um, into integration. You have watched Calvin both as when you were a city councilor, when you were a county extension agent, I'm sure, over the years. But the last 18 years in General Assembly, how did you and Calvin get to be so close? Well, um, it's, it's probably more Calvin than me because Calvin's a real likable fella. You know, when you sit out <laughs> across the table with him, you know, let's, let's be real. He, he, he's a pleasure to be around. He, he's very knowledgeable. You know, he, um, when, the moment you walk in the room, all of a sudden uh, you're his equal. That's the way he treats you. And, and Calvin and I have developed a, a real strong relationship over the years, and and uh, I guess it's uh, oh I don't know I, I, I I'm I'll tell I'm really you gonna miss him. I'll tell you a story from Sonny Die last week, and Greg Bluestein with AJC told me this. It's getting close to midnight, and Calvin had gotten his farewells, and y'all had all done everything, and they looked up, and in the house there's a press gallery. It's a room in the back of the of the um, house chamber, and Calvin walked into the room. And he just wanted to thank, he said, y'all, hey, y'all, sometimes the press has been bad, but y'all have treated me fair, and I just want to come in here and, and thank you. And he walked in, personally thanked them. There were five, six, seven AJC staff members, editors in the um, in the chamber. And Bluestein looked at his editor and said, I've never done this before, but I want a selfie with Calvin. <laughs> and the editor, he looked at the editor and said, can I do that? The editor said, I want to be in it too. And there's a picture of Calvin with the AJC staff on Sine Die, you know, a selfie taken in the chamber. That's a mutual respect. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, um, the, the only thing we ask out of the media is to be fair. I think you and I talked about this several years ago um and i've told you haven't liked everything i've ever written well that's okay it that's all right i don't like all your bills either so i understand (laughs) that too but you know as long as you're fair because if you weren't fair i wouldn't be sitting here today yeah i i've uh i've told some people that you know as long as you're fair we'll communicate if you're not i won't even talk to you about my grandkids and you've been fair well, that's, that, that means a lot. I want to get now to the signature piece of your General Assembly session. When you got up there in 2005, you thought there was a problem with the fact that the state of Georgia taxed military pensions. Mm-hmm. You tried to get a bill in 2005, and you've tried unsuc- Several times. unsuccessfully many times since. On Monday afternoon in Columbus at the National Infantry Museum. At 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, Governor Kemp will sign a bill that exempts military pension from state income tax. It's a bill. It's a similar law to what's in Alabama right now. And South Carolina. And South Carolina. So, you know, Augusta and Columbus, obviously, it's going to benefit people. It may help get some people living in Fort Mitchell to come into Columbus now. But... Why have you fought so hard for that legislation, Chairman? Well, Mr. Chairman, uh, it's Richard. I like uh, Mr. Chairman. Oh, you like him, Mr. Chairman? Uh, I just thought it was the right thing to do um, because they 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 make a commitment to this country like nobody else does, um, and with 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 that commitment. Um, you know the, the state really hadn't hasn't done a whole lot. You know we passed a lot of bills to to help the, the military family. You know like where their kids when they come back or if they transfer from 
who knows where, Idaho or wherever, and they come here uh, and they've already had Idaho history. Why do they need to take Georgia history? Yeah. You know, these kind of things uh, and, and help um, speed up the licensing process of a spouse. You know, somebody has a nursing degree and here in Idaho and they come here. Why should it take six months, eight months for them to get a license so they can work here? They've already got their license. They've already met the, uh, met, met those requirements. Um, this is an extension of those types of though, But this is, as of right now, this is the, the ultimate extension of those because as it stands right now, anybody who retires from the military, their first $17,500 is automatically exempted from state income tax. Now, if most of them are relatively young when they get, retire, if so they don't get another job, they get another job and make at least 17,500. The other, the next 17,500 is exempt. So at the end of a, uh, a retirement, then you get in a job and making minimum set, you got $35,000 exemption on state. Which will, which will go a long way toward exempt, pretty much exempting most of the retired soldiers. Right. Not the generals. Well, but not, the, not the five stars and all that. Yeah, it won't do. But for the, for the average retiree, yes. For a sergeant first class that walks out, mm -hmm. that's a big deal. That's a real big deal. Now, can, can you imagine? Now, we, we talked earlier about Calvin walking out. That's one individual. Can you look at retired colonels? retired sergeant first class, water, the expertise that they have after they've come out of 20 years in the military, they know how to deal you with it. You want people. that in your workforce. You want that in your workforce. You want that for your community. Uh, and whether your community is Columbus or where your, your community is Harris County or, you know, or state of Georgia, you know, and I always thought it was, I had a, uh, an instance, I guess my first year when I got all the information to drop this thing, someone in a profession called me and was really giving me up and down the country that they were not included. Um, we're not military. They were not included. And I asked him, when was the last time you were shot at? Conversation got over. Um, because, you know, we, we're... This is a thank you from the state of Georgia. It's the way you're, that's exactly right. It's a tremendous thank you from the state of Georgia. If you look, too, you fought for this, but I know uh, Senator Harbison, who's also one of your mm -hmm. buddies, even though he's a Democrat who represents Columbus. Normally when he introduces a bill in the Senate uh, over the years, I've carried a lot of them when they come to the House. And... Senator Harbison is a former Jarhead, I guess, well, not former. He's a Marine, right. Vietnam, Vietnam uh, veteran Marine. He has been fighting for this too. I know y'all will probably share a handshake and maybe a hug Sunday, Monday afternoon when Governor Kemp puts pending. You're, you're exactly right. We, we, matter of fact, we've had several uh, legislators. The the guy who carried it, and he carried it, and I was a second signer. I don't sign. I don't normally sign bills, and yeah. I don't carry any because they get all once they pass the house, they get tied up in the Senate because my name's on them. But because they want to use them as leverage to get stuff right. through the rules committee, right? So I don't sign normally, and I don't carry right now. Now that things get done that I I'm interested in, but I don't carry them personally. But the guy who carried it, uh, a representative named Jesse Petrie, that's what he ran his initial campaign on. There's a lot of... Where's he from? Around Savannah. Uh, there are a lot of legislators uh, at the Capitol that realizes the importance of what this thank you means. I asked Governor Kemp um, during an interview a month or so ago, you know, will you sign it? And he looked at me like I had four heads, and he goes, Chuck, it's my bill. Of course I'm going to sign it. And I think that's my best Brian Kemp imitation. But, you know, it, I mean, this is don't, don't do that in front of him. No, 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 no. This is something he's advocated. Right. Perfect. Um, we have a Republican primary in Georgia. 
where Governor Kemp is being challenged by former U.S. Senator David Perdue. Uh, Perdue is being backed and endorsed by Trump, former President Trump. It is a very contentious primary. You picked a side in it. Some Republicans haven't. You picked a side. Yeah, I I endorse on your show um, current Governor Brian Kemp. And I, I stand behind it. I think he's done an outstanding job. You've also made a pretty significant campaign contribution through your through your campaign account. Right. To, I have to and go- I'll make another one too because um, it's not cheap to run a campaign. Yeah, it, it is not. So you look in his, you know, I, I can't give the kind of money he needs, but um, you know, you're looking at millions of dollars in order to run a campaign, especially a statewide campaign and be effective um but no i i come i committed to governor kemp i still commit to governor kemp and if you look at his record i think people who look at his record will also endorse brian kemp i mean you look here sheriff jolly is with kemp i mean there are far more of the Politico's establishment people with Governor Kemp. But this could be a scorched earth. I mean, it's taking shape as a scorched earth primary. Do you fear that this Republican gubernatorial primary, regardless of who wins, could open the door as a Republican for for leader Stacey Abrams to step into the governor's office? It could, but... My answer to that is whoever loses in the primary, you will show the character of that individual depending then depending on how hard he works for the winner of that primary. But if you go back, we have an example from 2020-2021. I mean, Doug mm-hmm. Collins lost to Kelly Leffler mm-hmm. in, in a very vicious Republican-on-Republican uh, um, Republican campaign and at the end of the day, Collins came out and said, I support her. Okay, But, but they, his people didn't come back if but, you look at... Oh, well, I know. I know. And but see, that's that's the difference between if, if, if you lose, your character will be determined on how hard you work for the person that lo- you lost to. You know, if, if you lose, say, oh, yeah, I, I endorse whoever. And that's all you do. You haven't done anything. I mean, you, you know... We've whoever loses that race has not only has to say they endorse the winner, but they have to get out and actually campaign for them. Because that, to me, determines the character of the individual who lost. Do you think it's what do you think the possibility probability of Stacey Abrams becoming governor later this year? I think Brian Kemp's going to be governor. After the November election, that's the bet you're making as a Republican, mm-hmm. obviously. I, yeah, that's the bet I'm, bet I'm making. Yeah, you're the. I mean, it will be harder to flip the General Assembly than it will be to flip the governor's mansion. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, probably so because we we currently uh, have 103 uh, Republicans in the House. It's always easier one on one than it is for flip one hundred and three. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Kemp's going to win. Um, you think he's going to win the primary with or without a runoff? I, th- I think he's going to win the primary without a runoff because you got people out there. Like I said, if you look at Kemp's record, you'll vote. You'll support him and vote for him. That's all you have to do is take a detailed look at his record, what he's done over the last four years. And you'll vote for him. Starting to get a little feistier. I saw a clip out of the Fulton County uh, Fulton County Republican gathering Saturday morning, and he was being heckled, chided, whatever you want to say, by some Purdue Trump forces mm-hmm. that were saying he didn't do enough in the election uh, to change the results. And he could not do anything to change the results. He is limited by law on things he can do, and he did not have the legal authority to do what was asked of him. So as a Republican, you acknowledge that President Biden won the presidential. Based on the numbers, yes. Why do so many people in your party have difficulty making that statement that you just made? 
I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Um, but, you know, it, it's just like we talked about redistricting earlier. It's based on numbers. And, you know, if Biden got more numbers, Biden won. It's just 11,800 or so. You know, that, and what they asked uh, Governor Kemp to do, he did not have the legal authority to do. He, he could not throw out the election. He didn't have the legal authority to do that. He used a line Saturday morning in Fulton County where he said, I'm the governor, not a dictator. Yeah. That's that's pretty understandable. That's that's exactly his role. He is not a dictator. He, he is the governor. And I would encourage um, everybody and to get the Georgia Constitution and read it. I mean, cover to cover. And there's a lot of subjects uh, in there. But I would recommend anybody to read that and then tell me that the Constitution says he had the authority to do it. It doesn't. And if he had called a General Assembly special session, it would have clouded the issue in a way that mm-hmm. would have been even less, that would have made less sense, right? Yeah. So General Assembly didn't have the power to do it either. What, what criteria, if it's just based on numbers? Didn't over there. Oh, no, I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just thinking. I mean, it's, you know, we're going to get a lot of answers in a couple of months, I think. Oh, yeah. we're gonna, I think we're going to see, you know, how much sway the former president has. We're going to see, you know, what, what happens here. I mean, because he clearly, I mean, he wants Kemp to be worse mm-hmm. than anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, and Kemp, hey, Brian Kemp you can say whatever you want to about Brian Kemp, but Brian Kemp will take the gloves off and he'll street fight you, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much what he's doing with Purdue now. That's what he's doing doing with the president. I mean, what does that tell you about his personality? Well, it, it's something that uh, he believes in, and he doesn't mind fighting for it. Pretty much, you know, uh, you know, all this could be going on, and he just be laid back and this kind of stuff. That's not Brian Kemp. If Brian Kemp believes in something, he's going to fight for it. And you've gotten to see his relationship with Speaker Ralston because you, as rules chairman, you work closely with the Speaker. I work closer to the Speaker and also work closer with the Governor. I meet with the Governor's staff once a week. They have not always been allies, but if you look right now, David Ralston and Brian Kemp appear to be political allies. Uh, Yes. I can't I can't speak for the speaker, but in just sitting back observing, uh, yes. When the speaker of the house, who is arguably one of the most powerful people in the state, and the governor, who is the most powerful person in the state, form an align uh, an alignment, that's a pretty that's a pretty good tag team. Isn't mm-hmm. it? I'd, I'd like to have them on my tag team. <laughs> I fully understand yeah. that. Well, we're getting toward the end of this. I mean, you. I mean, you know, I've known you a long time. I covered you as a city councilor many years ago. How long ago was that? Oh gosh, I ran for this in two thousand. It was in the late nineties. City council or general assembly? Which one you like better? I enjoyed the general assembly. Um, I well, I enjoyed city council too. We got my, I had an opportunity to make some great fan, friends. But I enjoy the uh, General Assembly and that it deals with things that are important to the state, such as health care, like we talk about, mental health, uh, the prison system, all these things that, um, that are important not only to Columbus, but also important to the state. And it, th- those are things that they don't get done overnight. You know, if you've got a pothole, I can... I could have called public service and you'll tell me, you'll fill that pothole up on. Or call the city manager and say, yeah. hey, I need that pothole. For I need that pothole. Well, some of these projects that we work on don't happen overnight. Uh, Mercer Med School, 12 years. You were a huge player in that. And there were a lot of huge players in that. But it, but that took 12 years. So, you know, these a lot of these big projects like this, don't happen overnight, but when when it does happen, you see the impact of this that particular project, and there's several of them out there. That particular project um, will impact healthcare for a long time. 
And I'll say this is the rules committee chair and your role in the house. You have the coolest office in all of the Georgia capital. <laughs> his office, Dylan, Dylan's our producer director. Dylan, his office is halfway up a stairwell tucked just off the house chamber in a corner. And it's like, you think you're going into a, a janitor's office and all of a sudden you walk in and it's like, Secret hideout office. It's, it's the coolest office in the whole capital, and, and it only has two chairs. <laughs> That's my design, isn't it? <laughs> That's my design, and uh, it is kind of a tucked away. Little, I mean, you have to know where you're going to mm-hmm. find your office in the in the capital. And we've we've had some that were uh, tr- trying to find it, and they they'd finally call my administrative assistant, or if they had my cell phone, to how did we get there? You know, it just. It it is a neat location. It could even be mistaken. There's a restroom door not far. You could it's actually could be mistaken for a restroom at times. But it's a, it's a it is a cool little and I guess that would be the northeast corner, right? Yeah. It's kind of the northeast corner, sort of looking over Sloppy Floyd, if I'm remembering. No, it's on the other side. South, okay, southeast corner. Okay, southeast corner. Yeah. Okay, it's, it looks over uh, the CLOB. Okay, okay, okay. Still a cool office. Oh, it's a it's a great little office. You know, it's and I, I've got a wonderful staff. Um, you know, I've got an analyst and an administrative assistant, and they're they're none any better in state government. Well, it's you know you've got an interesting view. We've hit a point now. I didn't tell you I was going to do this to you, but I'm going to do it to you anyway. And I do this on every of the, one of the podcasts. This ought to be interesting because I've been asking you questions now for 20-plus years. Um, you get to ask me a question. Um, <laughs> you sure you want me to ask this question? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've asked you some hard – I mean, you lost the mayor's race. Yeah. You lost the mayor's race in 2004? Yeah, well, no, that's when I ran for city council. I mean, for the uh, Georgia So 2002, House. you yeah. lost the mayor's race to Bob Portichev. By about 500 votes. Yeah. God rest yeah. his soul. Oh, I love uh, Portishead. Guy, I hate we didn't get to properly send him off because of COVID. Yeah. But, you, I mean, there were a lot of tough questions in that campaign, if I remember correctly, and I covered it. Um, okay, your shot. Take your best shot, Mr. Chairman. Uh, well, I understand you're going to be part of the re, uh, team in Atlanta to do the um, is governor's race. Uh, yeah, I found out today that I, it looks like I'm going to be on the panel for the Republican government. Well, how much longer are you going to do this? <sighs> I don't know. I, I keep telling everybody, and it's a running joke, I'm going to work for four more years, then retire on Friday, walk into Nancy Bourne's election office on Monday and run for mayor. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody looks at me and go, you're going to do what? And I was like, <laughs> you know, I can't run. I think I, when that first <laughs> – thought came to mind somebody didn't hit him in the head with a board or something like that that would be my wife be- <laughs> you know kathy well it's yes, like i do it's like i wouldn't even get the vote in my house That's if right. i did that but now nah, you know i don't know i think i've got three or four more years you know you know this you're 77 right, right now you can't sit on the couch and watch tv all day you go nuts i would i would absolutely go crazy so i mean i, I need to be involved in something and uh Something that matters. Something that matters. And I can't think of something any better that matters than what I'm doing. Well, I mean, you know, you've worked yourself. You're a very prominent lawmaker from Columbus. And, you know, you've remained accessible to the media folks here. I mean, I don't know how many of us you still know. I know you know me and Chip Wood and a few others. But, uh, you know, you you answer questions and you've always been accessible. And that's one of the things well, I've the, re- always- the reason I have been is like I said, y'all have always been fair. Um, now, hard questions. That, that, that's your job. I mean, you lost the mayor's race. Yeah, I lost it? the mayor's race. Okay. If I hadn't lost the mayor's race, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. You know, that's one of the things about politics. People don't realize dark clouds. What appear to be bad moments actually are a good thing. In the end of it, when you look at what happened after that, there's, I mean. It's a tremendous learning experience because you you, you, you did everything you thought you should do and then you lose. And how you handle that 
it's the same thing that I was talking about a while ago with the uh, governor's race. How you handle that determines how, what your character is. Now, when uh, Bob Portishev was sworn in, I was there. And you and Bob were friends. We were we were closer friends when the campaign got over than we were before. And he and I were served on city council together. You know. Well, you know, when I ran against uh, Bucky McClung to, to, to win my house seat, I mean my city council seat at an at-large seat, we were closer. I, I knew her very little, but we were close friends when it all got over, her and her husband both. I hate to break it to you, but that ain't how politics is trending these days. <laughs> no, uh, politics can can get kind of ugly these days, and well, you know, it it has changed about, hmm, I wouldn't say 180 degrees, but it's getting close as far as 140 and still moving. 140 and still moving to the right. Uh, it you know it, it's it's a lot different than it was when I first got in in 2005. I mean, your your attitudes, your how people respond to various things, and um, sometimes you you wonder about a person's motive. That's kind of what they paid me to do the years. I've always looked at motive. That's yeah. always been one of the things. So, what they got to gain for? Or what's the uh-huh. what's the end game? For it? Well, you have been listening to the Chuck Williams Show, and Dylan will tell you this is the part where Chuck always wrecks the car getting out of here. Um, the Chuck Williams Show can be seen and heard on WRBL.com on Tuesday nights from 7 to 8. You can get the tape of it anytime after that. You can get me on the traditional podcast form, uh, Spotify, iHeart, and Apple. How can you forget Apple? See, I always do it. Always do it. And then the social media aspect of it. You're on social media, aren't you, Richard? Uh, barely. Okay, well, I am on Twitter at Chuck Williams. Facebook, Chuck Williams WRBL, and Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. So keep track of us that way. And, you know, there's still some gold left on that dome in Atlanta. Y'all didn't take all of it no, off. Didn't. <laughs> but our guest has been Richard Smith. Uh, he is chairman of the House Rules Committee, and he represents a Columbus-Harris County district. You got any other in there, just Columbus and Harris? Now? I have three. Three precincts in Harris County. The rest are in Columbus. He represents the Columbus-Harris district in the Georgia House. He does not have political opposition for this run, so that's one of the reasons we have done this this way. Richard, thanks for joining us, and we hope you come back next week for another edition of the Chuck Williams Show. Be safe, guys.